IMUR Podcasting is a company made and designed to share Australian stories. If you have an amazing family history or want to know more about it, please get in touch via the IMUR Podcasting Facebook or Instagram page. Episode 2, The New Land. This is the second of a two-part podcast series. This is sequential, and if you have missed episode one, we recommend you return to the start. Some of the information has been pulled from family stories and opinions, and may not suit all that is in legal documents. Please take this as a family story and fictional in nature. Chapter 4. Moving on. We picked this episode up at a point of devastation. Stefano had been away on training exercises with the Royal Italian Military and was coming home. He returned to the news that his wife Josephine had died in an attempted backyard abortion. A procedure planned by her own father and carried out by her own mother. Her father, known as Trapeau, was furious and put the blame of the entire thing on Stefano. None of this would have happened if not for Stefano's childish lust for the military. He would have been home with his wife and daughter, and Trapea would not have had to force the decision upon his daughter. Stefano did not only return to the news that Josephine was dead, but also, as you might have suspected, the unborn child. Stefano had gone from expecting to return to his loving family of four to being a widow and a single father left to raise his only daughter, Sarah. Upon such circumstances, Stefano was left in a complete tailwind with no idea of what to live for. The thing to keep him going? His daughter, Sarah. Sarah, just a baby herself, was just over 12 months old and had unknowingly lost her mother and future brother or sister and was left of the hands of Josephine's parents. Stefano had lost everything except a small part of his beloved Josephine and Sarah and was understandably extremely protective of her. Stefano was told the story of what had happened from Trapea himself and beaming with rage, he demanded his daughter so you could get her out of this nightmare of a place. A place where parents think it's okay to take their daughter's life into their own hands. Tears in his eyes, Stefano screamed for his daughter. Trapea, standing at the door, refused. As was the nature of the Trapea family, they were also hurting and wanted to hold on to the last piece of their Josephine. Josephine's mother, riddled with guilt for what she had done, and her father was fueled by rage. They believed the entire situation to be the fault of Stefano, He left his pregnant wife and his baby daughter to fend for themselves as he wore feathers and worked abroad. It was Stefano who put Josephine and his unborn child at risk and the Trapea they were simply trying to help. They did all they could to save their daughter and were absolutely devastated that she was gone. Now all they had left was young Sarah and they intended to hold on to her. The conversation ended to a slam door in the face of a distraught Stefano. Try as he might, he did not have the power to fight a mafia man in his own house and was forced to leave. 
Stefano went home that day alone. He had lost his wife, his unborn child, and now his daughter, Sarah. Stefano, he would not lie down without a fight. He would return home and plan a way, some way, to get his only remaining family member back, but in a different way than you might have expected. IMUR Podcasting is brought to you by our major sponsors, Bells Plum and Gas. For all new home plumbing and gas inquiries in the Townsville region, please email bellsplumbandgas at live.com.au. Stefano would spend many nights dreaming of ways to get back at the Trapau and to get his daughter back. He envisioned a return with his comrades from the Bersaglieri. They would attack in the night, wielding knives. They would slaughter those who stood guard and they would creep like church mice into the manor of the Trapea. They would enter the main room and slay Alessandra. Stefano would enter the bedroom he knew his daughter was asleep in. She would not have woken due to the skilled and quiet ability of the Bersaglieri. Stefano would hold his daughter for the first time in almost a year and carry her out. He would take her home, home finally, where they would lay in bed till morning. The attack would leave the Trapea family battered, bruised, and reeling with no way of getting back at him. They would never know who attacked that night, and the other bosses, well, they would assume Sarah to be dead. Stefano would be able to live out his new life with his only daughter, Sarah. Now, although Stefano imagined this, and he wanted this imaginary revenge more than anything, he knew that in reality, taking on the Trapea would be a battle he would eventually lose. Whether it be immediate or at another time, Trapea had friends in dangerous places and they would find a way to hurt Stefano and also Sarah. He needed protection from a higher power and eventually decided to approach the arch nemesis of the mafia, the legal system. Now, although being the 1920s, the law was still pretty firm on keeping families together. Stefano would spend the following months with lawyers and in courthouses, spending all he earned while away, all to try and get his daughter back. Now, after receiving word from Trapea himself that Josephine was killed at the hands of her own mother, Stefano used the information. In court, the story was heard, leaving the judge no choice but to get Sarah out of the Trapea household. The Trapea would fight back, but eventually the decision was made that Stefano would finally get full custody of Sarah. Saverina Trapea, Josephine's mother, was never charged for her part in the botched home abortion, with the courts instead deciding that Josephine had made the choice of sound mind and her mother was simply following her wishes. Although the Trapea parents would walk away unscathed, they would not walk away with Sarah. After fighting every day for the past 18 months, Stefano had finally hit a point where he could stop. A point where everything hit him at once. His wife had died. His unborn child had died. And he was now a single father. He was a man of combat and a man who was destined to provide for a family. Stefano, 
did not know how to cook every night. He couldn't keep a tidy house and he sure as hell didn't know how to tend to a toddler. He had fought for this and he wanted this, but a man in the 1920s was not destined for housework. Although the legal system was supportive on keeping this family together, it was up to Stefano to keep his daughter fed and keep a roof over Sarah's head. With Sarah growing to nearly two years old, things were becoming far too difficult for Stefano, and he was forced to leave his dream career, the Bersaglieri. He was now a single father, who tended to his house and worked odd jobs around Giardi. He was lacking purpose, and he found it hard to get by raising a daughter all on his own. Stefano needed a wife, someone to help around the house so he could work better hours and provide a better income. Now, unfortunately, a single widow was not the most sought-after marriage prospect in Sicily during the 1920s, so Stefano was to find a wife who also had an undesirable resume. Getting married in these times meant finding the best suitor. Looked at more like a piece of property, Stefano had lost value and had to marry a woman with a similar markdown, somebody tainted. Stefano eventually came across a woman while in the mall of Giardi. Her name? Arezia Sacchetti Guerrera. Arezia was an adopted child who had been taken in by a family in Giardi when she was young. Adopted families were fairly common at the time, given the life expectancy in the 20s. Many times, parents would both die young, leaving children to fend for themselves. Another reason why so many orphans existed in Sicily at the time was because of Italian nobles. They reportedly had a horrid habit of having unprotected sex with their maids. Now, instead of bringing up the child in the riches of royalty, they would completely wipe the women they had impregnated and pretend it didn't happen. Often the maids would be sent to the other side of the country or further abroad as to never come in contact with the noble family again, meaning many children were sent to places like Giardi. Many children left on the streets and raised as orphans all while carrying the bloodline of Italian royalty. There were many disadvantages and stigma associated with being an adopted child, which included being seen as not prime marriage material. Hence, why Stefano, who was already damaged goods according to folklore at the time, was a perfect suitor for Arezia. They were in love, and did in fact get along, but this marriage worked in more ways than that. The pair were suited through the most unfortunate of circumstances. Together, they could help one another. Arezia did not even take a backward step when she found out Stefano was a father. Of course, being an adopted child herself, there were zero doubts. They suited each other so perfectly that just a year later, they were to be married. Stefano had been through a lot in the last five years and was ready for a life of simplicity. He had not heard from the Trapea since the day he had won full custody of his daughter and was happy to never ever cross paths with them again. Whether the Trapea would forget so easily, well, that's a whole nother story. Arezia and Stefano eventually decided they wanted to have some more children. They wanted to make Sarah a sister, and they decided to expand. After trying for some time and losing two children in the process, they were blessed with the birth of Sebastino Mazza in 1925 just three years after the birth of Sarah. To think how much life had changed in three years was a lot for Stefano, and he would often think of what his life could have been 
although he would often think he was happy. And just another three years later, in 1928, Sebastina Mazza was born. Another five years down the track, her baby brother, Giuseppe Mazza, would also be born. Arezia and Stefano's family was complete. They had four beautiful, healthy children, and Stefano settled into life as a cart owner. Selling all different types of shoes and goods from his cart, Stefano was remembered for not having a speck of dust on his beloved travelling shop. It was not a huge income for the family, but it kept a roof over their head. It kept food in his children's bellies and was a largely safer job, especially compared to the military. Things were safe, easy and together. Stefano finally had a life that made him happy. This would last for about the next 15 years. Well, that is until a pain in Stefano's stomach would kick off a series of events that would upend this happiness and land the Mazza family on the streets and struggling to survive. IMU Out Podcasting is a company made and designed to share Australian stories. If you have an amazing family history or want to know more about it, please get in touch via the IMUR Podcasting Facebook or Instagram page. Chapter 5. Restatore. The year is now 1939 and Stefano was carrying out his cart business in Giardi at the ripe age of 39. Things are travelling along nicely for the Mazza family. His four children, Sarah, Sebastino, Sebastina and Giuseppe, are all happy, healthy and growing up quickly. His wife, Arezia, keeps the home and Stefano runs his cart business, bringing home a steady living. A day in the life would generally see Stefano up early to set his cart up. He would travel to one of the busiest streets in Giardi, serve customers throughout the day before returning home, cleaning his cart to absolute perfection and sitting down with his family for dinner. Arezia would tend to the children, getting them ready for school, cleaning their clothes. She would also keep the house tidy all before preparing dinner and sitting down at the family table. A pretty typical life was lived by the Mazza clan. That is until one day. Stefano has started noticing some issues with his health that seemed to come out of nowhere. Signs of nausea, fever and severe stomach pain. Stefano would soldier on, motivated to keep providing for his family and would deal with the pain for a few weeks. Arezia eventually suggested that he go see a doctor. Now, a general checkup didn't exist in the 1930s, but with the severe pain and high risk, Stefano was forced to. He simply could not put up with the stomach pain any longer. Now, upon a visit to the doctor, he found out the news that his appendix would need to be removed. Now, getting your appendix removed today It's a pretty straightforward and simple procedure, and rarely are there any complications. In these times in Sicily, there was obviously a bit more risk involved. There was a slightly higher risk, in particular, for Stefano. There was a new medical advance happening. Stefano was one of the early recipients of a new type of surgery. Now, this was a huge medical advancement. It meant that instead of opening up the entire torso to remove his appendix, only a few incisions would get the job done. In theory, this should lower the risk, 
and gives Stefano a higher chance of survival. Now, the Mazza family were tight-knit, and of course, when finding out, completely concerned for their father, especially when he agreed to go ahead with the procedure. It would be a couple of weeks until Stefano was administered to the local hospital in Giardi. He underwent the procedure while the family nervously waited. It would take hours while doctors carefully removed his appendix. Following the surgery, Stefano was taken out into his room where the family were notified it was a complete success. Stefano would make a full recovery and be able to return to his home in no time. What a relief this was for Arezia and the children Sarah, Sebastino, Sebastina and Giuseppe. Arezia was completely worried for a very long time and after finding out her husband would be fine, she was absolutely ecstatic. Stefano would be given a few days to recover while Arezia took care of the children before the family were finally able to visit and spend a bit of time with him. It would be on the day of October 23, 1939, the day of Stefano's release from hospital, that things would take a surprising turn. The family, including Stefano's eight-year-old daughter, Sebastina, they were visiting the hospital, getting him ready for his departure. As a young Sebastina sat speaking with her father, she was happy to be spending time with him and seeing him in good spirits. She did not understand all the complexities of the surgery, but was aware that her dad had been sick and the doctors had made him feel better. As Sebastina sat in the chair next to the hospital bed, a doctor came into the room. This doctor made himself known as a specialist who had come in from Catania. This was a big deal, considering someone from the big city was helping out in Giardi, this was considered an absolute blessing. The doctor, none of the family had ever seen before. By looks, he was professional, and there for all the right reasons. Sebastina, though, had an odd feeling about this doctor. At just eight years old, her instincts told her that her father was in danger. Why was this man here now? Her dad's getting out today. Why would he need a specialist? Well, a young Sebastina was right to follow her instincts. Something was off, and her father was in danger. Sebastina sat by while Stefano and the doctor had a brief conversation. Out of the blue, Sebastina seen a tug, a pull, and she heard the groan from her own father. Stefano had been stabbed. The doctor suddenly sprinted out of the room. He took off down the hospital hall and out onto the street where a nearby car waited to pick him up. Nobody had seen the doctor before that day, nor would they see him again. Stefano, in agony, let out a groan and sat up in his bed. He grabbed at his stomach as blood filled the hospital bed. Sebastina, at just eight years old, was in a state of shock. What has just happened? Where did the doctor go? Her dad was dying and there was no one to help. Doctors finally rushed in from the other rooms to help Stefano, but as he lay back, he let out his final words. Words that Sebastina still remembers as a now 94-year-old woman. My daddy said, you bastard, you're killing me. You bastard. You killed me.
IMUR Podcasting is brought to you by our major sponsors, Bells Plum and Gas. For all new home plumbing and gas inquiries in the Townsville region, please email bellsplumbandgas at live.com.au. Who was the doctor? Why was he there? And why did he kill Stefano Mazza? There is no proof of the man who wielded the knife. There is no evidence to suggest this is a form of payback. But according to Stefano's history and the knowledge his family held, there could only be one culprit. When you take on the mafia through the legal system and win, they eventually get their way. Stefano, for the last 15 years, had kept his head down, had kept himself protected and safe. But when a family like the Trapea feel disrespected, they'll always watch you. As rumour goes, the Trapea family had received intel that Stefano lied vulnerable in hospital. He had no knives, no former military friends, and no way of protecting himself. Stefano was murdered while he lay in his hospital bed, right in front of his eight-year-old daughter. Stefano Mazza died October 23, 1939, three months before his 39th birthday. Chapter 6, The Next Step You are living happy. You are living a happy life with your husband. As he makes a good, safe living, you provide shelter and food for your kids. Your husband falls ill. He has to go through high-risk surgery. He makes it through, only to be murdered on the day of his release. Devastation had struck Arazia with not only the loss of her husband, but the burden of raising four kids alone with little to no income. Scabbing food off military people and a life on the streets is what lied ahead for the Mazas after the death of Stefano. Life had gone from pleasant to extremely hard following his death and with the constant threat of homelessness, the Mazza family were forced to seek the help of the church and also the mob. Sicily did not have government funding to help a single mother like we do in Australia today, but the church was known as a safe haven that would take in any Catholic if they give back to the church. Sarah was in her late teens and had met a man. Sebastina was 16. Sebastina was 13 and young Giuseppe was just eight. Now, as a thanks for the church putting food in their bellies and a roof over their head, Arezia was a healer and would help tend to anyone who needed it. She also said the church could take her 13-year-old daughter, Sebastina, and put her to work as a maid. The family was to all chip in if they were to make it through these hard times. Sebastina hated the work. She loathed it, but also knew the church had helped her and her siblings survive. There were also times where Sebastino, Sebastina's older brother, would have to help out with the mob. He would often be picked up late at night, where he would have to go and work eight or nine hours with no pay. This was how the mob got their back payment for keeping this vulnerable family safe. Now with Sarah off on her own path and Giuseppe at just eight years old, it was all up to a 13 and 16 year old to keep this family out of trouble. Now funnily enough, it was mob work and church work that seemed to lead this family exactly where they needed to be. Through Arezia's ability as a healer and her skills in working within the community, Sebastina's hard work in the church 
and Sebastino's late-night mob activity, the family would make it through. They kept safe, they kept fed, and they kept clothes on their back. What is crazy, as it seems that fate had a plan for them all along. Their horrific circumstance led them to the exact moments they needed to be able to escape. But did they all get out, and where are they now? Chapter 6. Where are they now? The Mazza family were in a tough spot last we heard. Aresia was doing all she could as a widow with four kids, making use of her healing skills, the mob and the church, plus the work of her teenage kids to keep their heads above water. Sarah, she had taken off and started her own life. Sebastino was working the odd shift for the mob and Sebastina was helping out as a maid for the church. All the while, Giuseppe, at just eight years old, was most likely thinking about his latest crush at school. Where did this family end up? Well, here I am, a direct descendant, recording a podcast in Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. But how did they all get here, if they ever did? Orazia. Now let's start with the now-widowed Orazia. She'd lost her husband Stefano and was known as a healer throughout Sicily. She ended up getting quite regarded by the church and formed a reputation. This reputation would see her move to Tully, North Queensland. There was a Sicilian family in Tully who'd moved over during the First World War, the Carnivores. They would often pay for Sicilians to catch a boat to Tully where they would work back the cost of a ticket over time. Arezia's skills as a healer would come in handy for the fellow Italian workers on the cane farms of North Queensland. So Arezia moved straight over, where she remarried a man by the name of Philip. They lived out many years in Tully, until the passing of Philip, who died from a heart attack. From there, Arezia moved to Bundaberg, where she lived out her remaining years close to her daughter, Sebastina. She had lost two loves in her life, and had faced a lot of heartbreak. Her grandchildren grew very close to her, and say she eventually lost the will to live. She found her peace, dying naturally in Bundaberg. Sebastino. Last we heard, Sebastino was a 16-year-old forced to do work for the mob in Sicily just to try and help keep his family safe. Now, it was during some of this mob work that he was actually busted for bootlegging fuel for mobsters and locked up. Now, this was a dangerous situation, with the police demanding Sebastino give them information on the mob. Sebastino promised them that he would, which was his only way to get out of lockup. When he got out of lockup, he called the Carnivores, located in Tully. They'd figured out a deal where they would buy him a boat ticket, he would work it back in the cane fields, and he would get away from the mob and the Sicilian police. This all worked out pretty well for Sebastino, who worked his way to Australia and was on a boat just 24 hours later. He ended up as a material cutter for Bonds in Sydney. Yep, the knickers, tight singlets and boxes you're wearing right now, those Bonds is where he worked. He scored a job on the floor as a labourer and eventually moved his way to Sydney. He worked his way up to have a fantastic career. Sebastino married a woman by the name of Giuseppina, to which he had a son and two daughters. 
Sarah. Sarah was the only sibling to stay in Sicily. She lived out her youth without knowing the knowledge of her incredible story. In fact, she believed Arezia to be a birth mother and was raised accordingly. It wasn't until she turned 18 that Arezia would take her to the graveside of her birth mother, Giuseppina, and reveal the entire story. A complete shock to Sarah threw her whole world out. She grew to get married and start her own family. According to family members, she's gone on to marry an absolute asshole by the name of Gino and settled into family life. Gino is a rich banker and the family reside in Catania. Now, if Gino, the apparent asshole, is listening, these aren't my words, but you have pissed off some Sicilian women, and we all know too well that Sicilian women do not forget. Sarah had four children, Salvatore, Rosalia, Stefano, and Giuseppina who apparently have all gone to have very successful careers as doctors, surgeons, and university lecturers. The legacy of the family continues throughout Sicily. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Mazza, following his father's death, was just a little boy. As he grew, he learned how to handle himself on the streets of Sicily. He was not one to be outfoxed, and apparently turned into quite the handy little street thief. He is my grandfather, and some of the stories we hear explain why myself and some of our siblings sometimes find ourselves in a spot of trouble due to our outgoing nature. Giuseppe, following his father's death and two of his siblings moving to Tully, had heard many good things about Australia, so he spent his time saving money through work, stealing from the Germans during the war, also stealing cigarettes off them to sell off, which would get him a ticket down under. He would arrive in Tully and spent time going to the dances. Back in those days, a wog showing up to the dance to try and pick up a good, wholesome Australian woman was a very big no-go. It was quite often that Giuseppe would arrive home to his sister's house a little battered and bruised. That's right, Giuseppe went on to live with his older sister, Sebastina, in Tully. There's stories where he would arrive home late at night with his sister completely worried about him. There are even stories where the local law enforcement would give him a bat to try and protect himself after the dance. It would be at one of these dances that he met the love of his life, Francesca Taranta. I know her as Nuna. They moved to Townsville together, where Giuseppe started a transport business. From there, he would have four children, Stephen, Grace, Christine, and Marissa, who have all grown to have beautiful families of their own. Plenty say the middle child of Christine is a real cheeky prick doing podcasts in Bundaberg. Francesca, my nuna, now resides in Townsville and is the grandmother of 12 and great-grandmother to nine. The Mazza legacy runs strong throughout North Queensland, the Gold Coast, Brisbane and Bundaberg to this day. Sebastina, Auntie Nelly. Sebastina eventually found her way to Australia. Here she is speaking on how she met the love of her life in Sicily. God bless him. He changed my life. My mum made my brother go for a party for the name. Anyway, I'm sitting there, everybody enjoying things and everything. What happened? My husband said to the one of the house, what is the girl there? He said, that's Sebastiano Mazza's sister. 
you got a sister, yeah, you got a sister. In Sicily, my Dali husband era a very good dancer, era a good dancer. When he, he heard the music, he knocked on the door, can I ever dance? Yeah, you can never dance. After that, my husband never forget me. His name was Antonio, and eventually they would fall pregnant together. Antonio had found a job in Australia and had a huge opportunity. Although Sebastina was pregnant, they made the choice for Antonio to go over to Australia, earn enough money, let Sebastina complete the pregnancy before moving over with their new son. She would stay in Sicily and have their new baby son, Ned, where they would find their way over once Antonio had enough money to Australia. They would go on to have another three children, all four, Sebastino, Stefano, Maria and Filippo, all live in Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. They visit their mother frequently, who is now 94 years old. She is as sharp as they come. I thank Sebastina, who I know as Arnie Nelly, for talking to me and sharing her amazing story and the story of our family. Special mentions to Philip, Maria and Ned, who all provided amazing information. The Mazaname lives strong in Bundaberg, shared with the Fresta clan. This ends the story of my family, the story of Mazza. Some of it may be Chinese or Sicilian whispers, and some of these facts may have been lost in translation, but these are the stories I'll pass on to my family, who I hope will continue on to the next generation. Australia has a rich and diverse culture from everywhere on this planet. We come together to make the most multicultural place in the world. We have our differences, but whether your stories run from the dream time you got your residency a year ago, or you have absolutely no idea. Let's share our stories with pride and always remember to not let them go. This is just my family tale. What's yours? We are Mazza. IMU Out Podcasting is a company made and designed to share Australian stories. If you have an amazing family history or want to know more about it, please get in touch via the IMU Podcasting Facebook or Instagram page.